1: And this is Franchise Today on Wednesday, October 2nd. I'm Stan Friedman coming to you today from beautiful Amelia Island, Florida, part of the Sea Islands chain of barrier islands on Florida's North Atlantic coast. For those who don't know Amelia, it's rich in history under the rule over the years of Spanish. French, British, and American rule. Today, Amelia is a popular destination that's known for luxury resorts, golf courses, and numerous beautiful sandy beaches, and a few days of R&R for yours, truly. And before I introduce you today's guest, Dina Tripp, co-founder of the iconic Nothing Bunt Cakes, my thanks go out again to Rob Price, CEO of the School of Rock. Rob leads an amazing, absolutely amazing group of passionate people, both corporately as well as within their network of franchisees. And of course, support teams and music directors as well. You know, nothing says it like music. And believe me when I tell you that their success at the School of Rock screams volumes about the power of their brand, the concept, their culture, and of course, Rob's leadership. Can't thank you enough for sharing so much with us last week, Rob. I look forward to keeping an ear to the ground for an upcoming event in my community so that I can attend one of the performances back home. And with that said, it's on to the front of the house brought to you this week by Transitive where their teams provide franchisors and franchisees with cutting-edge solutions to drive marketing that's conversational. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute, but first, it's this week's Franchise Birthdays with many happy returns going out to Eric Premont. Bob Ritter, Sean Bach, Zdenko Zuzik, my son, Michael Friedman, turning 29 years old this week, Jenny Watson, Steve Rosen, Todd Fonseca, Ron Bender, my good friend and friendly competitor, Keith Gerson, and a make-good birthday that was missed last week to Harold Kestenbaum. Well, there it is, this week's franchise birthdays, and also this week in the front of the house. Kudos to my friend and fellow Southeast Franchise Forum board member, Charles Watson, CEO of Tropical Smoothie Cafe. According to Restaurant Business Online, the Atlanta-based smoothie chain booked a 20% increase in 2018 system sales and recently opened its 800th restaurant. Well, how's that for sustainable growth and sensible franchising? You know, it's time we get Charles into the studio to discuss more with us about the chain's growth strategy and maybe even give us a little insight into the evolution of the smoothie. Okay, so what do you say we take a quick break, we learn a little bit more about Transitive, and then we'll be right back to introduce you to this week's guest, Tina Tripp, co-founder, chairman of the board of Nothing Bund Cakes. We'll be right back.
0: Franchise Today we will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about our newest sponsor. I'm talking about transitive an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine accurate dependable results that are second to none. All right. Without getting too deep into the weeds transitive connects franchisees, customer data from all sources providing high octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning. Yes, artificial intelligence which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's io. And now for today's guest interview. Founders Debbie Schwetz and Dina Tripp started Nothing Bun Cakes in Las Vegas in 1997. They did it simply to please their family. And friends. Needless to say, over time, thousands of other people became just as excited about their delicious cakes as they were. By using the purest ingredients, handcrafted recipes, and imaginative decorations, Nothing Bun Cakes has grown into the warm brand that it is today, as they celebrate the very heart of true hospitality and where all are welcome and no one is a stranger. Each thoughtful detail of the experience, from the heartfelt welcome at the door to remembering the customer's favorite flavor has been naturally embraced at Nothing Bun Cakes. And that same culture and spirit has been very carefully brought into their relationships with franchise owners. It's a very special kind of person that gets invited to become a Nothing Bun Cakes franchisee and member of the family. And we'll talk about that and a lot more today with Dina Tripp, Dina, welcome to Franchise Today.
2: Stan, thank you so much for having me.
1: It's a real pleasure. You know, your brand is one of those brands that just you'd want it before you've even walked in the store and you hear a name like Nothing Bun Cakes and your senses come alive. I mean, it's part of part of an experience, isn't it?
2: Yes, it is. And thank you so much for mentioning that. Uh, it, it was by design that uh, we, you know, we we want our guests to feel that uh, they just walked into their grandmother's kitchen and we want to welcome them and uh, have that experience experience inside our bakeries.
1: So talk about how it all started. And you know what, before we do that, I actually want to do what I always do and not break ranks with tradition. Each week I ask our guests to tell us how franchising found them. Because we all know that it's not an intentional business. Nobody grew up unless your name is Dina Dwyer Owens or a Melanie Bergeron. You didn't grow up in franchising. And if you didn't, How did it find you and when did that happen? What were you doing when that happened?
2: And you're absolutely correct. We had no intention of becoming a franchise concept. Uh, When we started out in 1997, um, we really just thought that we wanted to be a household name in Las Vegas. That was our big picture goal. And over time, we, uh, you know, we opened up our first location. We had that location open for about five years. And in Las Vegas, you know, there's basically what we call two sides of town. So we have the west side and the east side. And over time, over that five-year window, we realized that our consumer on the east side, you know, was really excited about the product. Pro- the product. So we then opened a second location on the east side of Vegas. And we felt like, wow, we, you know, we're really accomplished. And uh, we started to become very popular and very well-known in our own community And what happened was, is we had several of our consumers and our guests come in, and they wanted to know if we were a franchise. And at that time, we told them that we were not a franchise. We didn't intend on being a franchise. We kind of said, never would we be a franchise. But at the same time, we, you know, you never want to say never. So during those conversations, we asked that guest if they could just leave their name and phone number with us, and we'd kind of put it in a bowl and we'd keep it with the with the possibility that maybe someday we would become a franchise. And then fast forward, we opened a third location in Phoenix. We started experiencing you know a, a location outside of our own community, and we we felt uh, the difficulties of growing that you know out of our own. Uh, City. And during that time, you know, we really realized that maybe we should contemplate franchising. We should at least give it a chance. We should at least talk about it and maybe investigate it. And that's exactly what we did. So we attended um, one of the franchise expos. We started becoming acquainted with some of the consultants that could maybe help us understand franchising. And really, that's how we got involved in the business. It was because our guests were asking us if we were a franchise. We uh, acquired information and we and we really thought it through and uh, we decided that that's how we wanted to continue growing our brand. And uh, once we did that, we, we reached back into that bowl of names and we called those people back. And sometimes it was two, three years later. From that bowl, we have owners in our system today. So that's how Franchise became part of our our brand.
1: Part of what we're going to try to do for our audience today, as we do every week, is share some of the learnings of those guests that are here on Franchise today that have already done and accomplished great things in franchising that others are still wanting to learn about. So when you look back to those beginning days, and we're going to save most of the franchising discussion for a little bit later, but when you look back to those days and you look back on that now, are there any lessons that you've learned since that would have made it easier for you? Or things that you would recommend that anyone who's following in your tracks into franchising now should do sooner than you did or a lesson that you learned that would benefit them to know?
2: Yes, absolutely. So w- some of the decisions that we made we were a very, very conservative. We were very conservative. So when we were uh, investigating moving forward with franchising, we really wanted to take the proper steps to make sure that we set a very solid foundation from the very beginning. So I think that's a very, very important part of contemplating the process. So make sure that you're setting yourself up with the right consultants and that you're really doing your due diligence in the beginning because that will prevent you from, you know, making some of those mistakes that you that you might make. So some of the things we did was uh, and I noticed Harold Kestenbaum had a had a birthday that you announced, but we uh, we spoke with attorneys, we spoke with consultants, we spoke with our accountants. We did all of those things before we even considered uh, franchising. But one of the most important things we did, and we didn't really know. You know what was right and what was wrong, but we did attend those expos and we became acquainted with uh, with good people. We um, we met some franchise consultants. We did our due diligence because we didn't know anything about franchising. We didn't even know what the proper steps were. We didn't know the legal aspects of it, and so we interviewed several franchise consultants and we landed on one that was absolutely wonderful. And so what they helped us do was understand number one whether whether our brand was even franchisable. And we thought it was just n- not even in question, but when they said, well, you know, we need to evaluate whether, you know, you can really take this brand to the next level, then that kind of we stepped back and we said, Okay, that makes sense. It makes sense that someone on the outside is going to help us decide whether, you know, we will be successful in franchising. So, I thought that was a really super important piece of the puzzle. Luckily, they said that, you know, they felt that we would we would be able to do this, you know, go through this process. So, then from there, they introduced us to the proper steps. And whether it was uh, the franchise agreement or or our training programs um, offering the support uh, that we would need to to have and the infrastructure we would need to have from the very, very beginning. What was very interesting at that time was our brand wasn't quite ready to, to be really a national brand. And so we are doing things more just how we knew, and, and we were having success. But what we realized is we needed to um, make it as simple. Some of the things we were doing within the, uh, the operations of our business were more complicated. So we, uh, we also hired a branding expert. At the very, you know, basically same time that we were getting ready to launch our franchise sales. And so hiring that branding expert, it gave us the opportunity to learn that we needed to have things that were simple, that were trainable, and that we could teach and make the operations you know, very easy uh, going forward. Baking is a science, and so that makes it a little bit difficult from a training perspective.
1: We're gonna come back and really dive more deeply into the franchise aspects, but I think that foundation is good that you laid down that track for us because I think the lesson here to the audience is the business of operating, even multi-locations, is still you operating. The business of franchising is not you operating, it's you scaling. And maybe those things that you did even with one location out of town and a couple that were local were acceptable things that you could do. And, you know, it was okay for the growth that you were doing as two and three units. But once you start scaling, well, those things work is another completely different assessment of reality. So better that you got that out of the way before you started. So you didn't have to go back and retrofit. You did it first. And that's a great nugget to give to the audience. Slow down. Don't be in such a big hurry. You know, do it right and get it right the first time. I want to look at the consumer side of the business though and talk some first about the value proposition to the consumer. I just say the name and my senses go nuts. Talk about bundt cakes. Explain what a bundt cake is to those who don't even know.
2: Okay. And, you know, it's interesting because when we were deciding to uh, start a business together, one thing that was very important to us is we wanted to make sure that we were doing something different. And so the bakeries in our community, they were making a, you know, a round cake or they were making a sheet cake. But we really wanted to be different, and that's really how we decided that Bunt Cakes were going to be our uh, cake of choice. And everything that we've done throughout the really creation of the brand, the first thing we ask ourselves is how can we be unique and how can we be different? And so that's why we chose the Bunt Cake. The Bunt Cake happens to be a round cake with a, a hole in the middle. The other thing that's interesting about um, the you know a, a bunt cake is traditionally they're known as being a little bit dense and a little bit dry. So Debbie and I said to ourselves we don't want to be that. We want our cakes to be light and fluffy and moist. And so that was another differential when we were deciding about doing the bunt cake that we wanted to make sure we could accomplish.
1: So Talk about the actual location. What What's the experience when somebody comes through your door?
2: And that is the, the uh, experience is very, very important to us. We want our consumer to and, and the, the interiors of our bakery are by design. So when the consumer comes into a bakery, we want them to feel like they just stepped into their grandmother's kitchen. So the first thing that we're going to do when they walk through the door is we're going to greet them and then we're going to offer them a sample. So when you go to grandma's house, the first thing she wants to do is she wants to feed you. So that's kind of how, um, you know, we want that experience to take place within the bakery. We want it to be a warm and welcoming uh, experience for the guest. And then Uh, After they step in and they have a sample, then the next thing we do is we ask them what they're celebrating because we really want to be able to help them with whatever they came in to see us for. And so if they tell us what they're celebrating, then we can kind of uh, put, you know, have the conversation with them as far as whether how many people they're serving. uh, And then that will take us into whether they're having a party or maybe they just came in for a, a quick treat. So, But through that process, we we really want to engage with the guests and we want them to feel very comfortable and very at home.
1: You and Debbie, your partner, had very different skill sets and dif- disciplines on growing the franchise business, which complemented each other as partners, which is an important thing when you have a partner you want it not redundancy so much as you want somebody over your shoulder with some things that they do that you don't care to or wish that somebody else could do for you. But you were both bakers, weren't you?
2: Well, uh, Interestingly enough, we really weren't bakers. Um, we, we were friends. And ironically, it's, it, I always tell the story that it was better that we were naive than if we came in being culinary experts. Because what that did is that just gave us the opportunity to know what we wanted. We were consumers ourselves. And so we knew what our expectation was. And so without knowing um, all the science behind baking, it actually was a benefit to us, which is somewhat surprising in my own mind. And so it was a lot of trial and error. Luckily, we were able to. Really create an amazing product. And we've been very, very adamant about um, keeping that the quality is one of our number one focuses in the brand. Uh, we, We do use more expensive ingredients. And that's because, you know, you get what you pay for. And um, when you do use those high quality um, ingredients, you're going to be able to produce a high quality product.
1: So you assault senses when a customer comes through the door. And, you know, my old days at Blimpy, I remember that baking bread in our store was our number one secret weapon because people could smell that bread baking. And it just, as is the case when I walk into a nothing but cakes, your senses lead with your sense of smell, not even what you're going to taste, but your mouth starts watering when you smell the fresh bakery smell, right?
2: You're apt you're absolutely correct. One of the things that we were really adamant about is that we wanted to make sure that all of our products were baked on site in each individual location. And that's how we set up our our brand and our concept. So we aren't about having an off-site commissary to bake the product and bring into our locations because we want that sense like you just explained. We want you to walk in, we want you to smell the chocolate chocolate chip baking or whatever flavor we have going on and we we, you know, we—it's it, very important that those senses are triggered when you walk into one of our locations.
1: What about the flavor profiling and all the different combinations of tastes and treats? Whose whose hands were all over that?
2: So, in the beginning, really, uh, it was Debbie and I. We um, we knew what we liked, and we you know we thought that uh, we were kind of experts at that. In fact, we uh, we were lucky that um, we were able to really create great recipes and great flavors. We did do research um, and it's interesting. We, uh, we baked up a bunch of flavors and we, they call it a focus group today, but but really we were just getting our friends and family around the table, and and we did the same thing. We like we put ten cakes on the table, and we made them evaluate each cake. Um, in you know in those early days, and uh, that really helped us be able to determine, for example, maybe a macaroon cake would that really be something that would be widely popular uh, for the consumer? And sometimes you know with coconut and such, that might not be the case. So. We, we really were able to just create some very, very nostalgic um, and traditional flavors, and, and those have really uh, done well for us. Now, today, we have uh, myself and uh, we have Jessica Spencer, who uh, helps her and I work together to create new flavors. But how we... Uh, be- You know, how we work on that is we do now do consumer research. So there's two things that are important to us is we, you know, we want to hear back from our guests and we want to hear back from the consumer. We want to do we want to make uh, flavors that are trending. At the same time, we still stay with the traditional ones. We're not going to go out and make a zucchini basil flavor we are going to stick to what we know from a, a nostalgic perspective
1: and what percentage would you say of your of your guests and your customers are coming to you specifically for an occasion or is is there a habit form you know of just making your dessert treats something just like ice cream. I mean, you don't just eat ice cream on on your birthday, right? You eat it all year long.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think we have a combination of both. So, uh, we will have and it's interesting from the early I always go back to the early days, but one of our bakery owners today, she's been in the brand from the almost the very beginning as we started franchising, but she used to come into our location and she would get a chocolate chocolate chip bunk cake and a and a beverage almost every single day. So that was that guest that just really loved our product. It was a treat for her on a daily basis. And that still happens today. I I think our consumers come to us for a variety of reasons, but we are really a gifting concept. I like to talk about that a little bit because the way we decorate our cakes, we put a bow on the top of our cake and that was also by design. And that's because we were, our, our brand is, it's not a cafe to come in and have a cup of coffee and eat a cake. It's really to think about how you can use our product as a gift. And so we wrap it and we make it very pretty and very presentable because we are a gifting concept. We have a lot of corporate business that come to us. They use our product in a B2B scenario. It's very popular that way. We can customize uh, to their um, company. And so and, and And then you just have your uh, your you know regular celebrations, whether it's for baby or birthday or Mother's Day. We're very seasonally based. A lot of our consumers will think about us because of the gifting aspect of it during all of the holidays. And then we are also something that you want to put on your table at Thanksgiving. So we really have a a, a very wide array of uses that are that our guests come to us for
1: do you do marketing for catering and for business to business
2: we do and we uh we i wouldn't say that wedding business is the biggest it's not the biggest part of our segment but it is an opportunity and we do uh, a lot of brides today want to do something very non-traditional and so that's where we come in we do uh a some, in some of our markets, you know, wedding is very popular and others, you know, maybe not so much, but that is, uh, that's a segment as well. All
1: right. So we have a pretty good foundation and understanding of of what the experience is. It's all about taking care of the senses and it's all about making what is a franchise business feel like a local one at each and every location. I want to talk a little bit, or I want you to share a little bit about those early days. You reached out to Phoenix with your first out of the market store. How long, how long did that last before franchising began? And did you open any others before you began franchising?
2: That's a very great question. Phoenix was a, 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 an incredible learning experience for us because what we, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so we just thought, well, we're going to go into another market. We're going to open up a bakery and we're going to hire a manager and then we're going to go home. And that didn't work out so well for us. Because you know we weren't doing the proper marketing in that particular area. We hired a manager, but you know we weren't having the the right, I, I guess, uh, experience and leadership with that person. And we soon realized that you know we needed to step back and reevaluate. That manager didn't work out for us very well. We learned that from the very beginning. Uh, but what happened was we did we did. St- Stay with that location. Debbie and I own that location, even as we were going through the franchising process. Uh, ultimately, because we got so busy with franchising, we couldn't give the proper attention to that location. And then we uh, we had one of our vendors that we used to buy our cake boards from, and uh, his wife became our manager at that location. And then we we ultimately sold the bakery to them as a franchise. But we that was our only out of out of our market experience. Um, before we started franchising, but it, it was a very valuable lesson um, because we knew that maybe growing corporately wouldn't necessarily be in our best interest. But if we grew on a franchise level, that mean that meant that we would have that really passionate engagement from the owners because it it was uh, you know obviously their uh, their their own business.
1: And what year would that have been, Dina?
2: that was that was in 2000 the phoenix location opened up in 2002 but we opened up our first franchise location in 2006.
1: And that would have been the Phoenix store that was sold to somebody that you knew?
2: No, we still own that. Um, The the first franchise location we opened was in San Diego, California.
1: Okay. And that would have been when?
2: That was in 2006.
1: Okay. So then how quickly from there did you start to catch a rhythm as to how your marketing for franchisees was looking and how quickly you could get stores sold and opened?
2: So um, in those early days, In 2006, we felt like we were doing, you know, we were kind of full steam ahead. We had our, we really had our foundation in place. We knew what we had to do to market, to sell franchises. Um, Debbie was probably more on the sales side of things when we started franchising and I continued uh, operating our existing bakeries in Las Vegas, and then was more on the training side. So we did split our responsibilities. We were able to, because we had that bowl of names, we were able to reach out to those individuals and uh, sell a, a, a few franchises to those groups, which was really great. Our San Diego franchise happened to be one, our South Lake franchise, and then another one in Colorado. One thing that was very important that that our franchise consultants helped us with is they made it clear that you wanted to grow regionally. So if I had someone coming to us that was from Florida, that was not really a, a, uh, a good decision to sell a florida location so early on. The other thing that I didn't mention to you was at the same time we started franchising, we started a distribution center. So we really, you know, came out of running bakeries to being a franchise concept and owning a distribution center. And that's a really important piece of the puzzle because we um, knew that we needed to have a proprietary, we needed proprietary products that we could sell to our bakeries. You know, anyone that's contemplating maybe doing that, uh, you want to make sure that, you know, you're really thinking it through. But we did focus on, you know, growth regionally. And a lot of our first-timer Bakeries either came from California, Arizona, because we had a presence there, and then we started to uh, get a lot of legs in Texas because we opened that South Lake te- Texas location. So that's that was really how our growth started from the very beginning. And we, it's so incredibly amazing. But we even today we grow organically, so we do not hire brokers. We, uh, all of our business comes to us because they either know of our product or they've experienced going inside one of our bakeries. We're
1: going to talk a great deal more about the franchising side of your business when we come back from a break. And I also want to talk more about the importance of having a partner that is somebody who compliments as opposed to duplicates what it is that you do. I think I shared with you in the green room before we went live with the interview in one of our earlier conversations that I knew Debbie for years, I never knew who you were. Mm -hmm, Debbie was mm -hmm. always at IFA and was always the visible face of the brand to the IFA community. You were, as you said, back home operating stores and taking care of business. So we're going to talk a little bit about how our audience should pay some attention to those kinds of things that are really important because when you're franchising, you're not just operating, you're in two full-time businesses now, operating your multi-unit chain and then growing it to full-time jobs. We'll talk about all that more when we come back.
0: Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. This
1: portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracles' spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracles' algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk their business acumen and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. zoracle spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today? Take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. zoracle spot-on assessments based on science but delivering results that seem simply magical check them out at www.zoricalprofiles.com and we're back and we're talking with dina tripp co-founder and chairman of the board of nothing but cakes 300 plus locations at this point am i accurate about that dina
2: you're absolutely accurate we have uh, we are on pace to uh, by the end of this year be at about 335
1: and now these are located in how many states
2: 38 states. So
1: we've come a long way from the small concentric circles that you were very smartly advised. And, you know, it's not all brands that need to have concentricity, I guess. But when you're dealing with distribution and you're dealing with the kind of service and handholding that your brand calls for, I think whoever it was that gave you that advice gave you some really prudent and good advice.
2: I couldn't agree more. That it was very, very important because it's it is sometimes you might think that you have someone that's interested and you don't want to let them go. You know, you want to. We are very, very picky. We have you know, we have a large uh, pool of of interested people that are interested in our brand today. And so we can be very picky. But in the early days, you know, you kind of you're you're not really in that position. So when you have someone that comes to you and they're from Florida or they might be from Chicago, you are very tempted to sell them a, a franchise. But we were very careful. We listened to our consultants and we made sure that we really grew in a manner that we could handle because we didn't want to get ahead of our skis. We didn't want to start selling franchises all over the country and then not be, and then, and then not be able to support those owners and, and, and make sure that they had the success they needed, the support and the tools.
1: So what did the timeline look like in those early years? What to you was a targeted number for stores or licenses to be awarded? And then how many of those to be opened in a reasonable period of time?
2: So our goal, and this was based on really the recommendation from our franchise consultants, and really based upon what we told them, uh, we you know, how we intended to grow and we sort of mapped out the United States. So by doing that with our consultants, we really believed based on the demographics that we thought were uh, you know, were ideal for our brand, we had landed at about 250 locations in the United States. And that's what we felt that we could do. We thought w- we thought we could do it probably in a timeline of about maybe 10 years something like that. And in
1: reality, though, how many did you get in the first, say, the first 12 months?
2: In the first 12 months, um, from what I can recall, we were at we, we were at about 12.
1: And what surprises did you encounter that led you to maybe do some reforecasting as to how big those numbers should be? It almost kind of seems to me when a franchisor gets going that they get a little bit like a kid at a buffet. Their eyes open wide and they think they can mm-hmm. <laughs> consume a lot more than they really can. Mm-hmm. What kind of wake-up calls did you have in that first year?
2: So, the the wake-up calls we had were that we started our franchise growth in about 2006. And then in around 2007 to 2008, the ball dropped. And we had a very, very difficult time um, selling franchises, you know, due to the fact that uh, the economy was in such a terrible state. So the skids, you know, came rushing to us, because people did not either have the money, they didn't want to risk the money that they had because things were so uncertain in our economy. So at that point, you know, we had, a, we had. S- you know, planned for growth. We'd planned for quick growth. We'd gone out and we'd rented some space so we could have some offices where we would be able to interview potential candidates and we could train and so on and so forth. And that all came crashing down on us in that 2008, 2009 timeline. So uh, we were very careful. Um, We wanted to not Get our, you know, We were already so, somewhat a little bit extended, but we circled back. We had a strong conversation and we knew that we had to take a step back. We had to go back into our bakeries. Debbie and I split back up. She went into one location. I went into the other. And we really just... It was kind of a waiting game because we just we didn't have any anyone that had had the opportunity. They couldn't take a second mortgage out to get the money. So there were a lot of things that that really um, happened that were somewhat out of our control. But we were still able to, you know, still periodically sell franchises during that window of time. Luckily. You know our bakeries were still doing very well, even in a difficult time of the recession. And so that was that was the thing that really held us to uh, to stay steady, don't give up, and just work the program as best as we could. And then once things started getting a little bit better, the economy started recovering slightly. That's when we were like full steam ahead.
1: How fortunate for you that you were able to maintain unit level economics through that economy. I was going to be my next question. I would think mm-hmm. that a brand like yours might have been viewed as, you know, a nice to have. But if money is tight, um, we'll do something a little less elaborate.
2: We we felt the exact same way. I mean, we were we were very nervous. We didn't know what to expect. But then what happened was we realized that the if the if money was tight for the consumer, but everybody's going to celebrate a birthday, right? And so, and everybody's going to still have Thanksgiving and they're going to still give gifts to the best of their ability. And so when they were going to choose to spend their money, they were going to choose to spend it on something that was of high quality. Or if they wanted to indulge, they wanted to indulge on something that was, you know, of highest quality. And I really believe that's what's, was we were able to sustain you know our numbers were not growing as aggressively as they were but we were really still be able to sustain um, what was going on in our units and that that is the thing that really kept us going
1: I want to make certain we leave time to talk about Acquisition and private equity and the next mm-hmm. stage of growth. But before we go there, just talk a little bit about how you offer franchises and are these all single unit? Are you doing multi-level or multi-unit deals or area development deals? A little bit about the concepts offerings.
2: It's uh, it's really important to us that we have owner operators in our bakeries. We feel like the engaged operator, the 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 person that's going to be super passionate about their business and they you know they. Want want to have that welcoming culture into their bakeries Uh, that that's very important when we are interviewing and uh, awarding franchises so we are not the concept that says you know come in we're gonna give you five right out of the gate and here you go you know here's here's your uh, area development agreement we don't do that we basically sell single units we want those uh owners to really get a feel for the brand before they overextend themselves. We are a brand that looks easy to execute, but it's not easy. It's not simple. It's a very production style um, operation. So we want our owners to come in. We want them to get their feet wet. We want them to really demonstrate that they love what they're doing. They're passionate about it. They can come back to us later and ask us to grow. But we do not grow as a, as a multi-unit business. We do have some owners that have three, four units. Um, but really outside of that, it, it, it's a process. And, and we want them to feel good about it. And we want to feel good about it really particular about that engagement at the bakery level.
1: You've got a great brand, consumers love it, franchisees are happy. Even a recession can't take you down. These are all great, great metrics and you know, great, great to hear this. At some point though, it would seem that Debbie and you started growing to a point where perhaps professional management was something you started thinking about or partners to help further capitalize growth. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. what triggered that and when that was. Where were you when that came about?
2: So we did bring in a third partner into our brand. Uh, coming around 2009, you know, we talked about the recession. We talked about being careful not to get ahead of your skis a little bit. And we also talked about the fact that we were learning the franchise business. So we were really good at running and operating bakeries. We were still learning how to become a successful franchise business. And we were also learning how to run a distribution center. So we had all three of those categories that we were working and learning. And because of the recession, what happened was, you know, we felt like, you know, maybe we needed some some more expertise on the franchising side. So we we became acquainted with a gentleman. His name is Craig Moore, and he's his wife uh, wanted to have a bakery in Texas. So we granted uh, we granted that that bakery. It was in Dallas. And he was just at the point where he was getting ready to leave the concept that we, he was currently in. So he was available. He was helping his wife understand franchising. And so that's how we became acquainted with Craig. Craig joined our organization in about 2009. He came in as uh, really being able to help us understand, you know, how to grow on probably a little bit more aggressive than we were really doing
1: mm-hmm. it. And what did that lead to in terms of shift in strategy?
2: So what that led to was just a, a, a little bit stronger focus, maybe um, also, you know, setting up our infrastructure, making sure that we had the, the, um, the proper people in the proper places, you know, really getting us to understand who we needed and how we needed to utilize them. And then, you know, the support with with the bakeries as we're continuing to open them. So I think Craig came into the brand with, uh, he was very clear on what his expectation was. So uh, he said he wanted to participate in the concept for about five years. He hoped to help us get to 100 units at that time. And then he was, you know, wanting to um, move on. So he was w- before he came into Nothing But Cakes. He was really uh, thinking he wanted to retire. This opportunity came to him. He said, "Okay, I'm going to give you guys five years, and then uh, you know I'm going to be on my way." And really, it was it was true to form. He he came in, did five years, got to about a hundred locations. And then that's when uh, that's when he was ready to exit. Then
1: what came next? How did the private equity piece come into your life?
2: So what came next was uh, Craig and, um, and Debbie both wanted to, uh, Debbie wanted to retire and Craig, you know, stuck to his original plan. And so based on that, they wanted to sell their interest in Nothing But Cakes. I wasn't ready to do that. I'm, I wasn't ready to retire. And uh, it just wasn't my time. So that's what led us to private equity. We became involved with uh, an investment banker, and then we went through that process. So we started going through that process. We had the investment banking group. We started doing management meetings and interviews with potential private equity firms. That took probably around a year to do that, and uh, we had a little bit of a setback because I I just think that um, at that time we thought I think Debbie and Craig thought they wanted to leave the brand, but I think they felt that there was a little bit more opportunity before they did, so they they kind of pulled back and waited. Uh, a, I think it was maybe eight or nine more months, and then we started that process over again. And then we were able to close the transaction in uh, actually on September 30th of 2016.
1: What would you say to the audience about the the distraction of going through that process? Now, we've already talked about you went from one full-time business as operators to a second full-time business as franchisors and scaling, and then a third full-time business as distributors. And now you've got the time that it takes from your daily routines over the course of a year to try to prepare for outside investment. What kind of a distraction, if that's the right word, did that bring to your business or did it bring a distraction at all?
2: I think it, it brought a little bit of a distraction, but it didn't distract us away from you know making sure that we focused on our primary goal. And our primary goal was to make sure that we continued supporting our bakery owners that we had in the system at that time, as well as continuing to grow the business. So it didn't put the skids on that at all. I think that what happened at that time is we did have our processes and procedures in place. We had the right people in the right places. So we were able to continue focusing on that. We also had, you know, our, our what happens in private equity and investment bankers is they want to spend a lot of time talking to your CEO. And so because that was primary the primarily the the individual that spent the most time as we were going through this process because they needed to provide, you know, all the financial details of that. So really for us the the main thing was finding the right partner, making sure as we were going through those management meetings and talking to to private equity that the private equity group was really uh, like-minded that was that was a goal for me. I wanted to make sure if i I knew I was staying in the brand and I wanted to make sure that the partner that we brought in was very like minded they were their growth strategy strategy was very similar to what we we were doing and what we were successful at doing. And um, and so that was really the only distraction for the the partners because we had the right team that was communicating with the investment bankers and the private equity groups. At
1: what point did you decide to bring somebody like Kyle Smith in to take the reins as president and now CEO, am I correct?
2: Yes, he is CEO. He came into the brand. Um, he was uh, someone that knew Craig from his previous brand and he he knew franchising as well. Kyle was uh, part of um, their operations Team in in the brand they came from, and so he he came into Nothing But Cakes with really trying to focus on the the operations of the bakery. So that was a real benefit to us because he had that experience. And when uh, when Craig and Debbie um, left the brand, Kyle and I, you know, were really able to focus on making sure that we really stayed on track. To, you know, we kind that the um, that our owners and our growth was not disrupted. And, uh, so he's, he's CEO of, of nothing bunt cakes. He does a great job. He and I are, we really work hand in hand. I'm still very, very active, uh, in the concept. As a matter of fact, before this call, I was on a conference call with our team, but, uh, I love nothing bunt cakes. I, I really, uh, love working and, with the concept and it's really important that as we continue to move forward that we are have have the ability to create a legacy and that uh we are you know helping and training our team and our staff to understand the history of nothing but cakes to really know that our culture is very important and to know that uh we want a long long future and kyle's you know, Kyle's there and Susan is there and we just have a really great team that uh, that understands that. So we're very excited about if our If you future.
1: read the tea leaves for me and look ahead, you know, three to five years out, what do you see coming on the horizon from the business itself and the world of franchising as you live in it?
2: So I think as far as what we can do in the United States, we've already mapped out where we think we can grow, what demographics and communities we think we can grow in. So we've got the United States pretty much mapped out with our our footprint as we see it today. So we're tracking and hope to be at about 500, possibly 550 um, of the existing um, footprint. We have the opportunity to do what we call non-traditional. We have we might have the opportunity to do possibly some kiosk environments. And then we will look to an international uh, uh, as well. We do have one unit in Canada. And so, you know, we did. Dip our toe in the water there to see how well we could do, and whether it was um, a product that could be received in in another country. So that bakeries, you know, they it's it's uh, it's been a learning experience. We do have, you, you know, as far as uh, freight is concerned, those are from from a dist- distribution standpoint, those are all things that we're thinking about. But at this point, our growth is. Uh, hoping to to be between 500 and 600 in the United States. And we think we're at at 335 now. We're growing at about 45 to 50 on an annual basis. So we'll probably get there in a few more years.
1: private equity, has it changed anything in your corporate culture? Is it something you recommend to others? And if so, when so?
2: Yes, I would. We have had a great experience with our private equity group. Like I said, it was very important that we were that we did our due diligence and we made sure that the private equity firm uh, was very like-minded. And I think that's, that's something that your audience should think about if they're contemplating that. Uh, private equity has been good for us. They're a great group. Our business is doing really well, and I think they're really, really pleased and happy to be partnered with us. If, our, if we weren't doing as well as we are, conversations could change and be a little bit different. But uh, again, we're very lucky and and uh, we're having great growth. And our private equity firm is very happy with us. And we're are very you, happy.
1: Are you happy them. enough to give them a shout out?
2: Absolutely. Uh, we work with Levine Likeman Capital Partners. They are out of Los Angeles. And like I said, we have had a superior relationship. And with your them.
1: franchise broker, well, not broker, but consultant that you've talked so much about, are they still around?
2: I think they're around. I believe they I see them at the IFA once in a while. I would love to give them a shout out because they were absolutely well, wonderful. I try to, I try to um, help we you do that, them.
1: but you know what, when you remember, we'll post it to the Franchise Today Facebook page and others can find out more about them then. At this juncture, the question left for me is, what did I not ask you that you wished I might have?
2: I think you did a really great job at really targeting very key questions, particularly for your audience. And I I really hope that, you know, the message I was able to convey, if, if there's if there were anyone listening you know if there were a few nuggets that they could take away from the conversation then i think that we would be successful but i guess the, the the biggest thing i would say is just be conservative don't be in a rush be very thoughtful about we like to say we are not we are not a cake business we are a people business and it's people first so you have to make sure that you select the right people And um, be, you know, be very diligent about doing that, because you're going to live with them for a really long time. And you want to make sure that, you know, you have contact
1: information for those who want to find you
2: Uh, www.nothingbuntcakes.com. Uh, We have a portal on our website that is all about franchising. And so, if if you have any listeners that want to check us out, that's where you can find us. This has been
1: a great conversation. Can't believe the hour flew by as quickly as it did, but that's usually what happens when we're talking to somebody who's so rich in experience, as are you. Dina, can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today.
2: Stan, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. In the the weeks ahead,
1: we'll be speaking with Michael Andreacci, founder and CEO of Junk King. Lots going on there with a recent private equity infusion there too, and professional management joining their team to catapult that 14-year-old industry leader to their next level. Also coming ahead in weeks ahead, Peter Kapiti's a franchise recruiter, not recruitment in terms of franchisees, but Peter's the guy who places many franchise professionals into their positions working for franchise or companies. And we'll be talking with Peter in the weeks ahead as well. Until then, please remember that you can download us and subscribe to us from Blog Talk Radio. Download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, virtually any place that podcasts are found. Remember, too, you can ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today, and she'll be happy to accommodate. Like us on Facebook and please let me hear from you with recommendations for guest interviews as well as any thoughts or comments you'd like to share about the podcast. You can find all my contact info on my LinkedIn profile and I'll be happy to hear from you whether it's good, bad or ugly. Until next week, I'm Stan Friedman. I'm wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising and Franchise Today is out.